Particle man, particle man, doing the things a particle can. What's he like? It's not important. Particle man, is he a dot or is he a speck? When he gets water, does he get stuck? Was the water get him instead? Nobody knows. Triangle man. Triangle man, triangle man, triangle man hates particle man. They have a fight, triangle wins, triangle man. Universe man, universe man, size of the entire universe man, usually kind of smaller man, a powerful man, universe man. I think there needs to be a rule about people talking about the GameStop deal. The whole Reddit revolt against Wall Street. If you can't explain the ending of trading places, you cannot talk about it. You cannot have an opinion, and you sure shit cannot publicly express an opinion. And how dare you if you fucking try. Now, I will say about myself that I know... A little bit about a lot of things, more basically the skill of a conversationalist, you know, the ability to, to have a conversation about something, but not to really understand it or and provide insight about it. And I know a decent amount about a few things. Uh, and then there's a lot of stuff that I don't know anything about, where I wouldn't even feel comfortable bullshitting. And the fucking stock market is one of them. I am a congenital peasant. Uh, the one thing, though, that I will say with confidence, definitively, is that this will not lead to some sort of uh, proletarization of finance. Uh, this will not bring down the overlords of Wall Street. Uh, this is essentially somebody counting cards at a casino. And you can count cards at a casino for a while, but eventually, if they find out that's what they're doing, they just kick you out. And there's nothing you can do about it, because it's a private enterprise, and they can, provide, they can decide who gets to go in or not. And they say, get out of here. And so whatever is happening now, one, the vast majority of the money that's being made is being made by the demon class, not by Redditors. That's what's facilitating all of this. That's where the money is really going. High-frequency trading and the like. And uh, two, that if it does provide any, like, destabilizing element, that will be fixed. They will solve it. They've already put a 30-day ban at TD Price uh, on trading some of these stocks. Apparently, Water uh, Robinhood is down. They're going to just change the rules because they're the house. Some of these guys individually might lose some money here. But once the this uh, leak in the system, leak in the, the, the ship, Disidentify, they're going to patch that motherfucker. They're going to put some of that water seal on there. Has anyone seen the commercial for uh, this? Um, it's a super sealant that you could use to patch, like you could make a boat out of it. They did that in a commercial. And the guy who does the ad, who's like the Billy Mays, RIP to a real one, uh, uh, hype man, is the most Philadelphia accented man on earth. And he just says the whole time, is the water seal. Launch the flex seal. That's it. Flex seal. Their water's never going to get in there. We're never. Look at the water. Water's not getting in here or there because of flex seal. They're going to slap that fucking flex seal on there and that water's not going anywhere because they are in charge. This is the house. That's the one thing I know. That's a great Philly accent. Shut up. Water ice.
the the watching though every like every doomed business model, every like Jurassic uh, Web 1.0 ass 20th century like buggy whip ass place that has just been like has a target on its back for the last 30 years and, and is now a joke. Like GameStop and Blockbuster, Build a Bear Workshop, and not obviously you know new to the list, but a very late and dramatic addition, AMC Theaters. Uh, just watching them one by one get picked up. It really is like irony has taken. We have an irony based economy now, and some people, some regular folks, are going to make money out of this for sure. Some regular old redditors are really going to make their nuggies off of it, and if they do, God bless them. A lot of them are going to end up losing money though, and it'll eventually be uh, sorted. The 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 bug will be found in the code and removed. Flexio fixes the water! So I would say, if anybody's making money, cool. But for the love of God, walk away from... Know when to walk away from the fucking table. You never count your money when you're sitting on the counter. But, like, just hit the button. Hit the button and get out of there when you still can. Because there's no way anybody who is not who has not supped at Lord Epstein's table, if you know what I mean, is going to get any of this real money. A lone summer's evening On a train bound for nowhere I met up with a gambler We were both too tired to speak And when he finished speaking Turned back toward the window Oh, that's the end. Never mind. All right, so uh, I want to post. You can only talk about the GameStop thing if you can explain the ending of trading places correctly. All right, I'm only saying this because I always kind of have felt like I kind of get the ending of Trading Places. And I will now try to explain what I think happened at the end of Trading Places, and you guys can tell but from that how far I am from being able to talk about this stuff. Like, how about that as the rule? Because um, I'm sure somebody in here has enough experience with stock markets or the film itself to be able to explain to me if I'm right or wrong. And if I get a bunch of conflicting answers, then I will uh, assume I'm right and that you are all just either trolling me or bullshitting. So, we know at the end of Trading Places... Uh, Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd have intercepted the crop report that the uh, that Clarence Beeks was going to give to uh, the Duke brothers, which was going to say how Florida's orange crop had gone. Now, if and by the way, let me just say as a parenthetical, as as a someone who watches movies that are made in 2020, 2020 and twenty twenty one now for a popular audience. The degree to which Trading Places, which starred Eddie Murphy and Dren Alcord, was a big movie and was expected to have a mainstream audience, the degree to which it does not explain almost anything about how that stock shit, stock shit works, it just assumes that you understand it, is kind of amazing. Like, the central premise that the Duke brothers can corner the frozen orange juice market as long as they know ahead of time that there will be a reduced number of oranges and therefore the price will go up because of a shortage like you have to know that and it's never really explained in the text and then the ending is completely unexplained it, 
I really wonder, I mean, I guess it just speaks to, like, the charisma of those two guys and how much people loved them at the time. And, you know, of course, Jamie Lee Curtis's boobs, that people just, like, allowed that to just go over their head. Whereas now, everyone is so obsessed with understanding movies, and our understanding of movies and our criticisms of movies basically come down to whether or not we think the plot makes sense, having nothing to do with, like, did we like the characters or the tone or the performances, or if it's funny, it's does it make sense. So everything has to be spelled out for you like your baby. It's kind of astounding. I, I just, I don't know what a young person who's weaned on baby food movies does seeing Trading Places. And as I said, Trading Places is not a fucking, like, it's not a genius film. It's a John Landis uh, uh, 80s uh, knucklehead fest. All right. So, the dupe, the, the rea first we have the reality. There was no damage to the crops. They're going to have a lot of oranges, which means that... If you knew that ahead of time, you'll know that the price is likely to go down. So they know that. But they give to the Dukes a fake report saying that the crop has been damaged significantly, which means that the price is going to go way up. So they send their boy to the uh, commodities exchange in Chicago, I think, because they take a train. I think the, the commodities exchange is in Chicago, not New York. I think a lot of people assume that the end of that movie is in New York. I'm pretty sure it's in Chicago, right? Am I wrong? Because the place they go in, um, in Ferris Bueller. They, I mean, they're in Philadelphia originally, you know, like the Duke brothers are in Philadelphia and they take a train at the end of the movie to, like, that's when they get the money from, uh, Coleman. They go on a train from Chicago. And they never tell you where to it. They, it's amazing. And I think a lot of people assume it's to the stock exchange. It's not. It's to the commodities exchange in Chicago. And Coleman tells them, my life savings, sir, please don't lose it all. And they don't explain what, to, what they want him to do with it. They never say, in like a movie would now, thanks, Coleman. We're going to take that and buy a bunch of orange juice futures now before the, the, the trading starts tomorrow. They don't say that. They don't tell you that they go into the thing with orange juice futures, that they already own them. And then when the Dukes start buying to corner and other people see them buying to corner, they all bid the stock up or the, the price up before the announcement. Now, of course, they don't want that to happen, but a little bit of it is, is necessary. Like when you, when you fix a fight, you're not going to get all of the odds because the fact that you put a bunch of money on that side is going to get a few people to go with you, and it's going to, it's going to um, inherently limit it a little bit. And, like, that's acceptable. But then what happens is, when they find out what happened with the orange juice, oranges, oh no, there's tons of oranges. The price is, no one's going to fucking buy uh, oranges for this much. There's no way people are going to buy oranges for this site price because there's so many oranges. And that means everyone needed to sell. Oh, I forgot. While they were buying, when it got to the top, uh, Dan, a uh, Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy sell all there. So they buy it. They buy. They sell off and get the cash from this huge sale of all of the, all of the orange juice they bought the day before. And then after it crashes back down, they buy them back. And then the difference between that is all the money they made and how they get on the yacht and they get the lobsters and crack crab for dinner. And then the fact that the Dukes were on the other side of all of that trading meant that they lost all that money because they were doing it on margin. And that means that it would, it, it's all on the assumption that you're not going to have to pay it back until you do. And then 
they're ruined. Is that correct? It's 80s cinema, thank you, not 90s. I got it. What's so amazing is how much of that is not in the movie at all. Like, not only do you have to kind of understand commodities trading and the stock market, you have to understand the story through implication. Like, they don't, Dunhelm Elliott doesn't tell them that they are buying them early. They don't say that they are holding them when the trading starts. Just narratively, it's astounding that they wouldn't add that. Like, that's extra stuff that I had to add to make it make sense. And I'm hoping that that is correct. Because remember, these are futures, so what they're basically doing is they're betting on what people in the future will pay for frozen orange juice. And damaged crops in Florida means they'll pay a lot for it. A bountiful crop in Florida means they'll pay less for it. It's not bad writing. It's, it, it's, it trusts its audience, because none of that stuff is dramatically necessary or funny. It's exposition. It's unnecessary exposition if you can just do some job work as a fucking viewer and connect the dots yourself instead of having them baby food formula speed it, feed it into your fucking mouth. They've turned us all into Terry Shivos, just getting nutrient sludge of exposition and plot stuff fed into us. How many movies have you seen that came on the last fucking 10 years? I would like to see a chart of how often the phrase, as you know, has been uttered in films over the years. And I have a feeling it's gone up recently. Because that dialogue, when a character says to another, as you know, everything that comes after should not be in a movie. It's absurd. These people would not say this to each other. It's going to be totally, uh, dramatically inert. This is not a conversation that people would happen because they already know this. You have to show them through other means. There is no patience, there is no expectation that an audience will have the patience to do that. It's not their fault. They're not dumber. It's more than anything to do with attention spans and the way that we fucking interact with entertainment essentially as we're watching it in a way that we didn't used to. We used to give things our full attention. Not because we were more virtuous, but because there were less, fewer distractions. That's it. And so I say, how dare you to anyone who says that's bad writing? Because if I'm right and you're telling me I got it right, that's all in the movie. I didn't have to go to Wikipedia. I just took my understanding, a layman's understanding of uh, commodities markets and, and stocks and shit, and applied it to the text, and I assumed the stuff that was there. Well, it wasn't there. And boom, it's there. Oh, right. They do explain that. Yeah, they explain how the commodities thing works. But everything else about the end of it, you have to intuit. Like the fact that they bought early and that they're selling it again, at, or they're buying it at one... They bought, they're, they're selling at the beginning stuff they already bought, and then they're buying it back at the end. So, all right, cool. I understand the end of trading places, then I get to talk about it, but I will still limit myself to what I have any confidence saying, which is one, I'm not going to do it because I guarantee you I would lose my goddamn shirt. I am a German peasant through and through. I am a good time party German, not meant for... Numbers. It's not what we're there for. The Germans, they had proto cap. They had proto capitalism as early as uh, they had the. They had proto capitalism in Europe before the Dutch or the English, uh, around the same time as uh, the Italians. And like the Italians, they couldn't hold it together because they just like uh, they like having too much fun. They like partying. I'm sorry. 
they're not shivering their ass off in the bogs and fens and fucking moors and, and uh, living in literal lagoons. Prussians are engineers. Prussians are like Romans. Like, it's all about engineering. It's not really about, uh, about like, manipulating finance, which requires a degree of imagination that isn't really part and parcel of that mindset. Yeah, Prussians are artillerymen. Prussians, they're bridge builders, like the Romans. Um, anyway, and no background in it, family... I, I come from that, um, the, the people who came to the Midwest to farm and then eventually settled into, moved into cities to get jobs. And then thanks to the largesse of the federal government through the New Deal, uh, and uh, were able to get home equity uh, for cheap. That, that's, and then like without having to uh, gain like a advanced degree or to hold capital. And so not a lot of uh, stocks, trading, any of that stuff, pensions, that's your number one source of like uh, finance capital that you're going to have access to. And of course, the equity in your home. So I don't fucking know anything about this stuff. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to try to become a billionaire, even though the idea, like, my God, if I'd put, if I just put a little bit of money, and I have a little bit on that at the early stages, I would literally be a millionaire right now and I could become the Joker, which is the only reason anyone should want to be a millionaire is to become the Joker. And instead I'm not, but it's like, no, no. If I had done it, I would have done it in such a way that I would have fucked it up. I, have, I said this on Last Chapo, but I've done several parlay bets where I try to do, I'm gonna, hey, I don't like to bet, bet a bunch of money, but I'd like to make a bunch of money. In sports betting, you can't, you, you don't really have that kind of, uh, layout, you know, like if you bet, uh, if you bet on like small differences, you kind of have to bet a lot to get any to make it worth your while, unless the odds are good, and then you know you need to know. Uh, and you, so that's where you put in your prognosticating. And every time I've done it, not only have I done a parlay bet, or every time I've done a parlay football bet, which is where you bet like 10, 20 bucks or whatever on th the outcome of three or more games or uh, the stuff in uncut gems those are parlay bets and like if any one of them doesn't work the whole thing the tickets uh uh evaluated but if they all work you get many more than the like if you bet them individually like the the odds and every time i've done it not only have i failed it i got every one wrong meaning that if i had bet the opposite if i had hedged my bets by betting my exact opposite i would have made a bunch of money i have no instinct for it uh, I like playing poker, but I'm a bad poker player because I f worry about the money too much. It gets in my head. I, I just have never been able. Maybe I could apply my renewed Zen. I haven't played uh, sports. I haven't played. Uh, I haven't gambled in a while. So and when I ha and so I'm pretty rusty. I don't know. I like the idea of gambling, but I'm just too sweaty about it. And I think I would be too sweaty about doing any of the stock shit. So I'm not going to do it is the one thing I know. The other thing I know is it's all going to end up fattening the, 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 the goats of the same goat-sucking scumbags who are in charge of us. And that uh, if there is any government response, it will be to make sure that the, the one thing that happens is regular people are not allowed to do this anymore. Because the whole point of this and the whole point of, you know what, literally the point of 
U.S. Uh, fiscal policy since the Civil War, when we decided to establish a gold standard, when we decided to say, hey, because they'd opened the, the, the United States opened the genie, uh, or opened the, the Pandora's box, rubbed the lamp, whatever you want to say, whatever metaphor you want to use, they had opened Pandora's box of, uh, fine, of, um, of fiat currency during the Civil War. Because there just wasn't enough species around, specie around to fund an army. And so the U.S., for the first time, published from a central, not from like local banks, but from the central government, published, issued currency. They were called greenbacks, and they were backed by the bayonet of the fucking Grand Army of the Republic. That was it. Which, of course, is always the case with money. It all ends up boiling down to the confidence of the institution that is presiding over the transaction that uses it. That is, that is what backs all currency. Everything else is an abstraction to mystify that relationship. Because the more aware people are of that fact, the more dangerous democratic institutions are to existing power structures. And the, people say MMT. It is MMT. But the problem with MMT is that it is right but beside the point. It's Georgism for the 21st century. You will not convince people to socialism. You will not convince people not based on class interests but based on truthness of a theory to change things. Material interest is the only thing that will do it. It ha cannot be theoretical. So... Yeah, MMT is correct. I willing to accept that it is an accurate description of how money works. Beyond that, I'm sorry. I don't know what else I'm supposed to do with this. Tell everybody about it? Yes. People are dying to talk about this shit. People are dying to have conversations about what really backs up the monetary supply. Just like they're dying to have discussions about cancel culture and fucking uh, whether ACAB is... Um, insufficiently radical or whatever the fuck, whatever arguments we're all having on here, the ones that all the people who really matter to this equation are not having. And you're going to start with this shit? Have it around. Good. But evangelizing it, which seems to be the point, seems to be to be just, it's, it's the same sort of liberal uh, socialism uh, that Henry George th uh, invented. Like, I've, I've, I've thought for a long time, when I first really heard about it, is MMT is the, is the return of Georgism. Only it's even, it has even less popular support than that, because Georgism actually did have significant um, uh, appeal electorally among the working class. Uh, the, Henry George made an amazing showing as gov mayor, running as mayor of New York against uh, Tammany and the Republicans uh, on a labor platform. And people espousing Georgism made inroads in the populist party, uh, and uh, made up members of the Knights of Labor. And, I mean, it was actually persuasive at the grassroots. This is shit you talk about on Twitter. This is meme politics, even if it's true. So anyway, to get back to the point. So they had exposed the naked raw nerve. They've exposed the bone of money at the Civil War. And they needed to, to defeat the fucking rebellion. They needed to summon the Yankee Leviathan, even though they were all, all the rulers anyway, it's not like they were completely opposed to the, uh, like, liberal uh, ident like, um, identity concept that the Jeffersonians, who ended up creating their mutant, conf like, Calhounite Confederate uh, society... 
it's not like they didn't share their liberalism, their essential liberalism, their idea of like property being liberty and property being inalienable by politics and that any politics that threatens the, uh, to make property alienable is by definition uh, evil. They believed that. That was, and in the Republic, in the, it's just that in the South, that was an articulation that came from the Jacksonian Democrats. In the North, it really was the Whig Party. Before the Civil War, you could really say that even though the Democrats were the naturally hegemonic party in power at any given time in Congress, thanks to federalism, by the Civil War, you essentially, the, the war you had, uh, uh, what, what, what essentially happened is that the conflict that immediately emerged between uh, the Federalists and the, the Jeffersonian Republicans at the beginning of the foundation of the Republic, that we had a series of compromises that maintained a political consensus government that existed. But in, at the level of political economy, what they basic, what, the way they resolved that problem, the way that the constitutional compromise resolved the problem, was essentially to say through the mechanism of the states, you guys build your political economy along Jeffersonian lines, and we'll build ours along Hamiltonian lines. And by the end, by the Civil War, you have a battle between the the uh, the Whigs. By that point, like the Whig uh, American idea that came from Clay uh, and was articulated finally and fully by Lincoln. Lincoln, who was a Whig before he was a Republican, and who idolized Henry Clay. The South was governed by people. Uh, at the state level, who had come from that Jeffersonian small, uh, uh, radical small government hostility to central banking and taxation power and uh, expansion of federal money. And the war happened because these things became unresolvable at the political level, because the political level, it was always a situation of kicking the can down the road until the material conflict between the two regimes became insurmountable, which is what Western expansion did. It made those insurmountable, and it made the political uh, system no longer able to accommodate it. That, in a nutshell, is the Civil War, what, what made it happen. And uh, so what the uh, Northern Whigs had to do was create this federal machine. And they didn't want to do it. They did what they had to do to survive. But those guys believed in the centrality of property and its, uh, its equa equa equation to liberty. And that meant that they could not allow a situation where um, the, the mob, the demos, could actually distribute resources to emerge. They had to keep control of the money. And so, after a, big, a number of series of debates and arguments and splits between parties and within parties, there was a consensus to move to the gold standard. And Grant started that movement. It took a number of years because they had to... Like, one of the big reasons that the period between the Civil War and World War I is so economically stagnant is that for most of it, you had this deflation. First, they were literally taking money out of circulation to equalize with gold, and then they were just not ever putting in more liquidity whenever the economy would shiver to a halt, which happened all the fucking time. Uh, and that's why, that's why silver and, and um, liquidity, like financial liquidity, became the signal question of the moment. And I would like to point out that if people want to understand why we're in a situation where yahoos are breaching the Capitol and politics is a, a spectacle of, of mind-blowing mind insanity, insane devotion to, to cartoons, 
to a figure like Donald Trump. Like, think of this. A game show host inspires the siege and uh, investment of the U.S. Capitol. That happens in this country. And I know we can joke about it, but in American history, this is a, a, an insane thing that happened. This is a thing that even 10 years ago, if you'd conceived of, you wouldn't have been able to get your head around it. If you really want to understand why that's happening, I would say take a look at a similar situation economically for Americans uh, around the turn of this century. Uh, when we were seeing the promise of American uh, manifest destiny, small uh, 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 liberal republicanism, the, the, the model that both Jefferson and Hamilton strove to were both moving towards in different with different methods because of different cultural conditions that were reinforcing and all that. It could come a cropper. It had failed. It had failed the vast majority. And there was this insurg there was a po politics that embodied that dissatisfaction. And what was it its form? It was form was the candidacy of William Jennings Bryan. The man who would not see us crucified upon a cross of gold. And his campaign was around the issue, basically the single issue, of democratizing monetary flow in this country by giving by by essentially taking uh, injecting liquidity at the bottom. That's what it boiled down to, and that is, of course, what democratic control of the economy will produce, which is destabilizing for many reasons. And you can say it's bad too because it like it leads to waste and overproduction and overconsumption. And it's like. Yes, if it's unmoored to class struggle. If it's moored to class struggle, it can actually be useful and uh, and create genuine conflict, like between uh, the democratic entity and the actual powers within a, a, a social order. And and that was the debate. We're in a similar situation now of our neoliberalized deal, our post, and in fact, not even that, because we still think we still imagine we're living in the fucking New Deal era. We haven't even metabolized how much of that uh, framework has been destroyed because we don't really remember it. But we still think in those terms. We still assume this level of, uh, of like socialization of, of, uh, of wealth, distribution of wealth downward. And it's going away. And we're seeing it fall apart in real time. What was the presidential debate about? What did the two parties argue about? Was anyone saying anything? I mean, the four, what was it? $2,000 checks, right? That's the closest thing. Did any of them even talk about that during that campaign? Did that motherfucker Trump, who's supposed to be the fucking Jacob Coxie reborn, American populism on the march, Tom, uh, what would he do? He talked about how big his shits were and how they couldn't go down the fucking toilet. Because that question, $2,000 checks, is already such a grotesque diminishment of democratic uh, horizons on the question of the economy. To go from, we're going to go from having metal, uh, gold as our, ba as our backing of currency to a bunch of silver to reverse the uh, leverage relationship between debtors and creditors, which was the driving force of populism, was debt, just like debt is the presiding fact of American life for most people. And what did we get? Whether or not to get a check, and that wasn't even one of the, the things they actually talked about. 
in such a thing, when, when politics is so restrained, but our lives are so bad, how are we not going to invest all of our energy in meaninglessness, in whether Trump is president? Of course, that's how our politics are going to be fucking organized at all levels. This is just an example. And of course, there's social uh, fractures that are not exist now that are recognized in politics in a way that they were buried by those politics. That's true. That's always the case. But it's our failures then that set us up for our failures now. It's just been one long slide. But anyway, to try to get back to what I was originally trying to talk about, when they reasserted the gold standard, it was to make sure that control of uh, where the money goes, investment is concentrated in these banking institutions that these people preside over, not in the hands of actual people. And that was the goal of post-war monetary policy, to keep the money where it's going, because it was a giant continent that was just waiting to be inve invested in to produce massive profits. Yes, it was settler colonial expansion, gen genocidal expansion, of course. But to the people within it, it was not that. It was manifest destiny. And they, were, they had the capacity within themselves to actually democratize investment. Can't have it. And so in this current context, if this is like the, the, uh, that op another one of those openings, one of those apertures, my God. Maybe we could, maybe if it's, maybe if the only thing we have is, is market speculation, maybe if moving numbers around on a paper, piece of paper is the only thing that generates fucking economic activity in this country, which it is, it's a totally financialized economy, it is all not, speculation, it's, it's, a, it's a minimal amount, it's a, a sluggish amount of real economy and trade on which has been stacked an infinite level of microtransactions and swaps and, and, and counter swaps and speculations and futures bets and CDOs, blah, 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 uh, time, not investing in the time it takes to get a thing from one place to another, not any of the actual production of it. If that's all we have, why, why, why can't everybody do that? Why couldn't everybody be doing that? Instead of it being funneled through Wall Street so that all of this money, all of the excess part, all of like the transactional element of it is, instead of being concentrated there, distributed universally, not equally, but closer to. And allowing people to invest in actual productive economy, maybe. <gasps> Around them. <gasps> Can't have it. Can't have it. And so it's going to get the hook one way or the other. Oh. Yeah, some, yes, exactly. Like, the thing that generates economic activity right now is our collective consciousness. It is our memes. It is our culture. It is our anxieties. It's us. It is, we are just the brain in the jar. The body is the rest of the world working and toiling to bring us things. We're just supposed to think about them. We're supposed to interact with them synthetically. And in interacting those thing, with things, real things synthetically at the end of the fucking chain of, uh, of resource or of, uh, of, um, Supply, that is the economy here.
We are just the neurotic consciousness of the world economy. We exist to think about everything else that is being produced, to interact with it by buying and selling it, and talking about it, and spectacleizing it, and, and turning it into social life, turning transaction into social life. Uh, and that's that's the actual state that's what the American economy is, which means that it really could be democratized theoretically. But of course, how could it be done? It could only be insisted on from the bottom, but if it was insisted upon, it would be re res it would be uh, resisted. And that resistance, if it did not succeed, would eventually become hostile, and you would have class war. That's the thing that the MMTers and the Georgists and uh, the, the, the Cod Gramscians who think that you can march your way through institutions and then just flip them over fail to get, is that there will always be a point of maximum conflict, a point of genuine, uh, a, a, point, a point in a conflict when an existential question emerges. If this conflict is from the point of view of capital, there becomes a point where any further um, any further submission, because of course you will submit as much as possible, because coming to final conflict is no good. It's wasteful. But you'll only do it as much as you need to, and that changes depending on uh, the, the force of your opponent. Like, the New Deal happened because Capitalism had to, had to make a deal. It was not sustainable anymore in, given how much popular organized opposition to it existed. And so the New Deal was, it, it, a, a, was set on the terms it was in advantage to the working class, as you wanted to uh, buy, by the leverage the working class had in the situation. When a new crisis emerged in the 70s, that working class leverage had been completely hollowed out. Uh, and it was like termite. It was like they had a big siege engine that just got ate by termites over the 40 years. And those termites were prosperity. They demobilized the working class and turned their politics cultural. And so when that happened, it happened behind the scenes and there was nobody even there to press the point. And so we got this. If we get to another conflict point because things get worse... And, and that fat and happiness, that sedative of prosperity that we had been narconized with wears off, there will come another point of conflict. And within that, you get a, and within that context, there becomes a point where if capital gives up anything else, it will cease to have internal coherence and it will be vulnerable to actual uh, threat. And, if that, and that can't happen. And so at that point, real force is exerted. And then the opponent, the working class, whatever you want to call it, has to make the decision whether they can win that fight. This is why I said if the German working class had been organized the way that the Bolshevik Party was, but of course they couldn't be because of how successful they'd been and how advanced a capitalist country Germany was. The Bolsheviks succeeded because they were in Russia, not because of their ideas. Their ideas were perfectly... Uh, Fixed, their, their ideas were perfectly applicable to the situation of the Russian Empire at that point. But they were not transferable because the situation didn't obtain every, there. 
but there was sufficient organization and uh, and counter hegemony within the German working class that if they had been aware of that they had reached the end point of the Bernstein-Kautsky road of reform, by after which capital could no longer make concessions, if they had been all aware of it, then they would have been able to make that moment the final conflict. And that point will always come. And I would say that democratizing our finance industry, which is all that we have, which is the brain stem of not just American, global capitalism, that they're going to democratize the uh, system of that, it cannot be allowed. And no amount of convincing people about MMT will get you there. Only class organization and uh, class mobilization and militancy will get you there. Somebody's asking about Irish unification. I, I, I talked about it a while ago and said that, while well, I think it's cool. I don't really think it's possible. But somebody DM me to say, who's in Ireland and, and, and is following it closely and say, this thing could actually happen. That it's not crazy to imagine a unified Ireland thanks to Brexit. Which, hey, you know what? Wouldn't it be cool to have a big thing happen in the world that wasn't just awful and depressing? Wouldn't that be great? And especially if it's because the DUP psychos were too psycho and we're like, we can't just insist upon uh, like adhering um, psychotically to the Great Britain. We have to out blimp the blimps in our devotion to some pig headed national uh, economic nationalism that's totally, you know, lost its past its sell by date. And then doubling down on it and then driving out all of the moderate uh, unionists. Just like in the exact same mirror way that our Republican Party is operating. Because the one place where uh, reactionary politics are most similar to the United States is in Northern Ireland. The Irish unionist community there is the closest culturally, uh, politically, uh, to ours of any right wing anywhere in the world, I would say. They are a young earth creationist, anti-abortion, uh, neo-confederate psychos. I saw when I was in Belfast and I went to, uh, the Shankill, the Shankill Road. When I went to the Shankill, I saw one of the housing estates. They had a fucking James Buchanan on the side of a building. And of course, all of the, they had Scotch-Irish generals of the Confederacy. But of course, what's what's sad is that our... Uh, left politics could not be further from uh, Northern, Northern Irish left politics because we're all settlers. We're all Ulster Scots. We're all Presbyterian psych blood drinking uh, fucking psychos. None. There's not a. There's not an oppressed crappie to be found. Even even the the most green son of Aaron to ever take a coffin ship from Tipperary to New York is a fucking, uh, is an Irish Catholic. You are, you're a fucking hun. 
You're the goddamn orange men. We're all orange men. Australia is pathetic because, like, they're clearly trying to be like us. They're, like, doing it on purpose. It's kind of self-conscious. But the, the fucking, the, the Northern Irish, uh, or the, the, the fucking Scotch-Irish psychopath snake-handling maniacs, they're not doing it for anybody. They're not trying too hard. They're just trying. It, they're, they're galvanized. They're not these fucking phony, like, you're in Australia. What are you mad about? Yeah, you're settlers, but, like, you banished your enemies to the fucking outer wastes, and you get to just get shit-faced and crush tinnies and flip-flops 300 days a year. Until, of course, the place literally becomes uninhabitable in 20 years. No, 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 no. The Canadian right wing, the American right wing, are or Australian right wing, are cucked versions of America's right wing. Honestly, America's right wing is a cucked version of the Northern Irish right wing. That's the real steel. The fucking Ulsterman. Ian Paisley. Reverend Ian Paisley. I'm Ragland Ian Paisley. I'm going to arrest the Pope. I'm on... Fucking... They were QAnon before QAnon. Ian Paisley tried to punch the Pope at the European Parliament. I, uh, 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 you know, yeah. Did you guys... Everyone know that? He had to be restrained. Of course it was like hold me back stuff, but he actually like tried to do a citizen's arrest on the Pope. That is some Marjorie Taylor Green shit. John Paul II. For crimes against the people, for diddling all those kids, I had Paisley place you, John Paul II, under arrest. Yeah, we're cuck versions of them, man. But no, Australians, Canada, cuck versions of us. And uh, the Irish-Irish version of us is maybe the most cuck people on Earth. Holy shit. Can't, hard to get more cucked than that. Other than maybe like Ukrainian Nazis. Holy shit. They literally almost destroyed your country. Do any of those... Of course they don't. They can't read. But uh, those Ukrainian Nazis should really take a look at uh, Ostplan, which was Hermann Goering's plan for Ukraine and Eastern Europe after the war, which was to redirect agricultural uh, output in such a way to essentially enslave like 20% of the Ukrainian population and have the remaining number die of starvation. That was the Nazi plan for Ukraine. You take the fucking holodormo, whatever degree to which that was real, and it was, there was mass death in Ukraine after Stalin took power. That's fact. What It was a combination of a bunch of factors, definite, uh, including bureaucratic incompetence, uh, uh, and unnecessary violence, uh, national chauvinism, all the evils of a colonial administration that was continued even though there had been a change in government because, you know, colonial administration is colonial administration and, and Ukraine was a, was a minority within the Russian Empire. Uh, and then, of course, though, uh, the main thing, though, was a genuine fucking famine which had cyclically hit that region throughout its generation until... Modern ecological technology changed that. Uh, agricultural technology caught up and, and changed that dynamic. That was a, that, and that was the main driver of it. But whatever degree the Soviets were involved, would have been a fucking drop in the bucket to what they were going to do to Ukraine if they'd won the war. They would have kept a few people to be basically like uh, 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 draft animals. 
in little neo-feudal, like, village, uh, uh, castle grounds. They were going to recreate medieval, uh, like the old, they were essentially trying to recreate the old Teutonic Knights domination of old Prussia. Like, that's what they were trying to recreate. When, when the, when the, when the, uh, when the Teutonic Knights went from Jerusalem, got kicked out after the Crusades, had nowhere to go, didn't want to go home, had nowhere to go to because they were all disinherited second sons, uh, they waged a holy war against the remaining uh, pagan population of eastern Prussia and Lithuania. And that crusade was very successful, and it led to the extirpation of the, the of paganism, uh, the replacement of it with Catholicism, uh, and they were the, it was essentially a confederation of like landed uh, knights who had feudal estates uh, where they had Slav uh, serfs, and that would be what they were going to create in Ukraine, but it would have required way fewer hands than they wanted, than, uh, they way fewer hands and mouths than it currently existed because they were going to intensify the surplus and ship it all to Germany. And so the easiest way to deal with that is just to deprive them of the food, just take it from them, way more systematically than Stalin ever did. That was the plan, and it was they didn't do it because they lost. And these fucking assholes are out there waving Nazi flags. Like, I wish you guys had genocided me. Cucked. But this is the thing. There is nothing to respect about about uh, any of these reactionary movements. There's no the thing that people get caught up with a little bit. I think well-meaning people, honestly, you know, ambiently racist white guys who might be persuaded to be more democratic or to be more egalitarian, but like are are just driven by their cultural context to you know respond to this kind of stuff. Uh, the thing that is romantic about it and that speaks to people in a way that the left shit doesn't, is that rootedness, is that feudal sense of a social reality that transcended the market. And that no politics, which all left politics are, which is multinational, multiracial, egalitarian, can maintain those local rooted things because things like race and class, race hierarchy, uh, 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 race, uh, uh, racial awareness, racial distinction... Those things are part and parcel to those local regimes of control, and they are the things that people respond to through the echoes of history. And they see the left, and they see nothing there that can maintain those things. And in fact, it requires that all remaining bonds be dissolved. But that's the degree to which I can sympathize with any right-winger who, who comes to the right through that, through that reasoning. And some, there's some I, will, I will definitely say that that is an appeal that exists. And I think that the question of who those people are and how to talk to them is one of the central ones that has dominated like the neurotic online left because so many people who are online are these people, are these, uh, you know, highly alienated but acculturated white men. Those are the people who don't, who have the time to sit on the internet, are alienated enough to want to spend their time doing that. And so they're considered up for grabs. Of course, the fact that they don't really stand in for any greater number of people and they stand in for people who by and large are least connected to the productive economy, which needs to organize before anybody else in order to really challenge capitalism, that they are essentially irrelevant. Like, we're talking fail sons, neats, and people who have office clicky-clack jobs or fake jobs. And those people, no matter how much 
they feel real and feel like the sum total of like the political consciousness in this movie in this country they are self-selected and they are disconnected from the people who have made the conscious choice or unconscious choice to realize politics is bullshit and they just need to live their lives which is the majority of people who are closer to the bone who have less time to sit around and worry either behind a desk at work or behind a desk at home looking at a computer either way they're online either way they're t whether they have a job or they're unemployed whether they're in the PMC or they're uh, whatever they're they're somewhere there and of course this isn't all of them plenty of these people have like real jobs but their social milieu is going online to post about politics But the problem with that reasoning, the flaw in it, the reason that I cannot countenance the right on any terms, even its most romantically, you know, pre-capitalist, is that that doesn't exist anymore, man. That's gone. It's all, like Salazar's regime that was built on top of a literal, like, the wreckage of a failed modernism. Like, Portugal was one of those countries that tried to keep up with the capitalism and fucking, like, tripped and fell on their fucking face three steps out. Honestly, because it's too nice. It's too nice in Portugal. Why do you want to sit in a townhouse fucking looking at coins all day? Like some Dutchman who lives in a fucking bog. You're in Lisbon, for God's sakes. Drink some fucking Madeira. And so they tripped out of the gates, uh, uh, smashed their fucking face in, and we're basically living in the ruins of feudalism. Oh, yeah, you, we can create some sort of integralist thing, even though... Of course, it wasn't even true. The guy's article is bullshit. They had fucking concentration camps. They tortured and murdered communists all the time. They were insanely repressive. And they waged colonial wars on a massive scale, which he also doesn't talk about. But anyway, now that's gone, man. There's nothing. You would be building from the rubble of American liberalism into your imagined, like, uh, embedded social organism that can, like, achieve homeostasis with its natural environment instead of being in constant conflict with it. It does not exist. It's a bunch of boat owners and not just boat owners, uh, watchers. It's a bunch of, it is de-culturized, de atomized consumers, fully stripped beings who do not have any shared anything beyond their understanding of culture and identity through spectacle and then wiring it through their personal desires. Not through any alienated sense of spiritual connection to anyone outside of themselves. All of our ideas about religion and place and race, all these things that, are gonna, uh, that supposedly are going to hold us together against the storm of neoliberalism, they are, on the, they are all embedded in the, uh, the quicksand of atomized neoliberal subjectivity. No matter what these people think, when, when, the, when they, these guys imagine these ideas, these rooting concepts, they imagine them being the thing that transcends selfishness. Because what is the question of politics right now? On the left and right, then how do we fill, how do, what we have essentially realized everywhere is that if we just let uh, self-interest govern things through a network of, you know, facilitation of transaction, selfishness will drive us to destruction because the all we will alienate ourselves from each other every day and the only thing that will be able to fill the space will be consumption and that is incompatible with the fucking limited biome and it's it's just incompatible with with the second law of thermodynamics for fuck's sake and we have to put some fucking pressure on the gears we have to fucking put, tap on the brakes here collectively and there's a bunch of ways people say to do that uh just uh, kill half of the third world. 
Echo fascism, people want to say. And then, of course, you have the liberal response. How about let half of the third world die, which will be less mean and require us to have a less coarse civic social order to facilitate that level of conscious violence. But another answer is have there be something other than the market to determine our uh, social activity for the love of God. Demarketize some things. Return to us our unalienated lives to some fucking degree. And the thing that does that in the imagined societies these guys have created in their heads, their they're ideal, ide, idealized feudalism, pre-modernism, pre-liberalism, pre-Jewification of the world, pre-Sisification of the world, pre-Soyification of the world. The thing that gives, it, it, it is belief. It is belief in, yes, God, but God is an expression of a social life that gives one meaning and purpose beyond one's self-indulgence. And that, those ideas are invested with that, and that's what gives it its cohesion. It took generations and generations, and the Black Death and a bunch of other shit, to dissolve that and replace it with selfishness and self-interest as the sole uh, presiding uh, source of um, self-direction, I guess. that We can only be sincerely driven to self-interest. We cannot be sincerely driven to subverting, to sublimating our self-interest into others because we don't feel connected to one another, to put it bluntly. That connection has to be built, rebuilt, reforged, which can only be done by continuing to move through the fucking dialectic stages and contradictions of capitalism and gain the technological uh, uh, sufficiency and concentration of capital resources to solve problems of resource scarcity and to distribute and to relieve pain, to relieve pain, to allow people to live and to find meaning outside of transaction and consumption. And that is the work of the left. And the, your, most, your most sincerely hearted neo-fascist, of course he's racist, but he's racist because like, Look, he'll talk you for a twenty. He'll he'll talk you into it in twenty four hours. Why he's not technically racist, and in his mind he doesn't think he is. And it doesn't matter if you're saying, but he he is. He's lying. It doesn't matter. You there's no judge to say because you're right that means anything. He's still a force in the world you have to contend with. Just saying it's not. No, no, you're fascist. You're racist. It doesn't work because they've worked it out for themselves why you're wrong. Just like I've worked it out for myself when a fucking right winger says I'm wrong and I'm not going to change, and that's. That means that you have to be challenged and not defeated on the level of arguing someone out of these beliefs, but in providing a context and a movement that can give people who would otherwise make that choice another fucking option. That is what it is. And so many people confuse this idea of like, you need to go to the fucking QAnon people and give them a fucking pamphlet about joining the DSA. No, if you're doing that, you're gone. It's about what is, what, where are people being sucked and what is sucking them there? And one thing that's sucking people off in the direction of this uh, reaction is the fact that they do have things in their social world that they do think that they that, that means something more than the market, but they aren't. They're all art. Of, they're all just uh, symbols. They they don't signify the emotional connection of a pre pre capitalist subject. And so, when people get to work, just like on the left, when people get to work. The sum total of their work 
in the absence of meaning, in the absence of spirituality, in the, abs- in the absence of belief powering it, is self-interest. Look at the fucking people at QAnon now. Look at how every one of these motherfuckers as they're getting arrested was either a federal agent himself or a fucking informant or they were there to fucking uh, uh, embezzle money from some fake GoFundMe they were running or they were doing, uh, um, they're doing some sort of social media scam. They're all picking each other's fucking pocket like Frank Sabatka said. That's all of us. We have to forge a new social consciousness not before we do anything, but in order to defeat capitalism, which we all agree must be done. And beyond that, there's a simple fact that you don't have the numbers, chumps. The working class's only weapon is numbers and the fact that the thing doesn't work for now Although the technology is being created to make this no longer true. That's the point of Silicon Valley, a material point. Beyond people getting their beak wet and keeping the money flowing, Silicon Valley exists to make it so that in the near future, they won't need us. That's it. And then politics can just be deleted from the program. Politics as such. There is just corporate relations. You have an HR director instead of a... Uh, representative in Congress. Just, they zero that fucking line out if they can get that sufficient technology. Now, of course, the race for that technology is a race we're both in because if that is socialized, if those technologies are socialized, we could actually build the fucking thing. We can actually build the motherfucking thing. Relieve the pain, relieve the source of uh, the retreat to hostility and violence and othering that powers these, this politics primordially and, and, and makes it impossible to create class solidarity. And your racist shit, your white supremacy shit, it guarantees that you're only going to get white people or at least white people and a nice chunk of like assimilated into whiteness people. That ain't enough. And the same way that any like ADOS and, um, and uh, like Hotep shit, that's this, the, that is, that is black reaction. It's black reaction, but we code it through a left lens because the way that race is politicized in America. Like, blackness is politicized in a way that no other, uh, it is polarized. Black identity is left at a semiotic level. So the black reaction is hard to see sometimes. And, and that and that whole thing is black reaction. And it's the idea that we're going to protect our identity within this thing, within this capitalist system. And once again, the people who are actually mobilized are the people who have some degree of capital within it. That's who is able to be online. Those are the ones who have capital to invest in, in media ventures and political ventures, the ones who are able to asset some level of, of uh, ascension in the pecking order of capitalism even though they are, you know, held down generally by their racial category. You're going to get reparations, but fuck, uh, like, how are you going to get reparations? Why, what would you have? You don't have the numbers. You have to, you, we all have to work together to fucking have anywhere near the, uh, the power to offset the advantage the capital has.
Okay. Did any of that make sense? I hope so. Good. Yeah, I felt this was a good one. Felt like I got some useful stuff out of this. I do, I do hope we see uh, Irish, uh, Irish unification. I will say one thing: if there is, if people worry like, will the troubles start up again with like the DUP and those guys pulling their guns? All the people who really care are our MAGA people, uh, and the guys with guns are all just selling fent. Like all those loyalist gangs, just are drug dealers now. They're fat. They're just too tick-like. They're not. They're not going to have that. There'll, there'll be a little bit though. But they wouldn't do they wouldn't do the whole thing. Yeah, Marjorie Taylor Greene is basically a DUP uh, member of Parliament. She, by the way, could very well be the the if she, I don't know what's going to happen with Trump. Like he he seems like there's a very good chance that he might just shrivel up and and die. Uh, he just was that broken by this. But he could come back. Uh, can't say. But if he doesn't, she could fill that hole. I think she, even more than Bobert, especially since she has a much more like incendiary record like all the shit's getting brought out about her and the thing about it is the liberals are all thinking oh enough of this is going to come out and then she's going to have to resign i mean i'm assuming that's what they think because or or what do they think they're going to get the house to kick her out if they think nancy pelosi is going to expel a member of congress for stuff she said they are insane but even if they did it she would then be a martyr and that is what you want to be. If you got to become famous on the right, becoming a martyr is one of the best ways if you don't uh, have your own TV show already. Or she's going to go to jail or something. Yeah, I'm sure. We need to hold her accountable, folks. Yeah, we'll hold her accountable by making her uh, like the VP of my pillow guy. There is no chance that we can unite with the barons. The barons are our enemy. There's, they're more committed to maximalist capitalism. That Their deepest commitments are to capitalism. Their essential argument is if the whole thing breaks down and we have to go to like a Hobbesian state, I would rather build up from that and try to reassert like my, my previous privileges under the Magna Carta than accede to like my power slowly being attenuated by, by a like the uh, eventual assimilation into a global capital market. They would rather fucking go down in a blaze of glory. The real hardcore of it. That's what they're fucking fighting for. The same way that their ancestors, the Confederates, did. They came to the point and they fucking 
They preferred, like, none of them were going to get, none of them, none of the guys who, uh, all of the guys at the top of the Confederacy, all of the big landowners, I'm sure a lot of them were very leveraged and, and indebted and needed to keep, you know, uh, they needed high cotton prices and uh, in order to sustain their uh, incomes, but a managed, a managed end to slavery, a managed climb down from slavery, the kind that would have happened if the Republicans had been allowed to govern. If the Republicans had been allowed to govern, if Lincoln had been allowed to govern without the Confederacy being created, and westward uh, territories were, well, were the, the, the extent of slave territory in, was defined. That would have caused a collapse of some sector of like the, the cotton economy if it had eventually happened. But it would have been over time, and those at the very top would have been able, through uh, increased markets, increased, increased access to, uh, to credit instruments and bonds and all the, all the goodies that come, all the investment-grade goodies that come from a diversified economy. And they could have climbed down, but they wanted to keep it because it was more than just a system of government. Because these things become fused with our essence, they are inextricable. Base and superstructure, at the end of the day, are the same thing. When we talk about them as different things, we're not talking about them as if they're occupying different spaces. We're just talking about direction of action. It's like one big muscle fiber. Where, what direction is the, is the impulse going? That's the only thing that base superstructure refers to. And so change happens when these moments of crisis come where compromise is no longer possible. And these fucking boat owners, these, these uh, barons, their threshold for compromise is lower than global capital because they hold tighter to the social element. They hold tighter, tighter to the social dimension because they are more socially embedded. So they will never fucking give up their power, and they will have to be defeated. They could be maybe utilized, but only from a third angle. Not because once, if you ally, ally with them, you guarantee that your base will be reduced because everybody is operating in this cultural context, and it is unreasonable to expect people of other racial categories to watch people ally with expressed, people who express as part of their politics, a hostility that is racial, that is, that is xenophobic. That's unarguable. And people will be turned off by that. You will reduce your number. And I say it's not necessary. And in fact, not only is it not necessary, it is wildly counterproductive. I will vote for Baron. He is the false Dimitri who will true, prove to be the true heir. One day he will emerge and set right that which was wrong. He will be our Paul Atreides.